You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Zach Harold here with Archery Maniacs. Um... I have Ryan Carter on the podcast today, and we're going to talk a little uh, – some some stories that have happened to him as he's guiding um, and kind of a little bit of the different perspectives that you see as a guide as opposed to a hunter. Um, and then we're going to end the show off with a little bit of shed hunting tips and tactics. So thanks, Ryan, for hopping on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. How you been, Zach? I, you know, I'm really looking forward to hunting this year. Uh, I can't believe that tag season is basically already over. That was kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you are you going to pull any good tags this year? Um, I ha- I don't have. I have like one point for Nevada. Um, but Nevada's kind of goofy the way it the way it is. So kind of everybody has a chance which is interesting to me you know um but fingers crossed i drop uh-huh. my wyoming moose tag that would be pretty cool i i doubt i will um you know i have like 13 points but 13 points isn't enough <laughs> yeah wyoming stuff for moose oh man i know my that's tough yeah but well good yeah what about you how you been I, I'm doing well. Uh, 2018's been a little rough so far, health-wise, but it's springtime. I'm pulling out of it, so I'm not going to complain. I, I just can move forward with it and hope this year levels out a little bit. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so, you know, being yeah. in your shoes, uh, I mean, anyone that follows you on Instagram or knows anything about you, um, you you're guiding people into just some ginormous bulls and and I podcast you and I did a while ago um you know we, we talked a little bit about all the work that goes into that um so what's you know I would imagine that you don't ever just go out there this is the bull I had on camera oh look there it is first day we're going to shoot it you know I would imagine that there is a lot of hardship um, and there's some crazy occurrences that happen along the way. So, um, <laughs> what, what's a few crazy things that's happened to you as, as you've been guiding and, and along on the hunt? Wow. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've never just, I've never shown up on the mountain and just walked into a jet bull. Um, n- never once in my life. I, in fact, if I was to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm probably one of the most unlucky people I know. Um, 
I, I don't draw tags. Um, I'm two points over max on archery, Ponsagon deer, and I didn't draw last year. <laughs> it, it's mind blowing to me. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't, I, I, everything I do requires a lot of work. Um, that archery bull that, um, we killed this year, uh, Kyle Ostrin's bull, uh, before that bull hit the dirt, I was 52 days on the mountain, um, patterning that bull in particular. Um, I had multiple cameras out and we were watching for multiple other bulls and I did have two or three other clients coming in. However, that bull was my prime bull. Um, and I had almost 40 cameras dedicated to just that one bull, um, just trying to get his pattern down so that we could get him down on the bow hunt. Um, that, and it, it worked out. It didn't work out as planned, but it worked out. Um, <laughs> if, and, I, and, and, and then honestly, I, I, I know, I know, um, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I, I, coming from a guide's perspective, the, the crazy things that happen are, are almost every day for a lot of guides. Um, things that are, that would make a lot of people panic, um, make a lot of people freak out. Guides handle that stuff quite a bit. So I, I look at elk hunting a lot like a chess game, you know, like something bad happens. It's just somebody got a better move on you. And so you just sit back and look at your options and then push forward again. It, you don't panic, you don't freak out, you you just alter what you're doing. And so a lot of my crazy stories aren't crazy. Um, I got stories that are lucky, um, but I, I don't credit them to me or like I got lucky. Um, I credit it more to the hunters. Um, I had a guy, let's see, 2015. I had a guy who bought the tag. Um, paid quite a bit for the premium premium tag in Utah. You get to hunt all four seasons. So you get an archery tag, an early rifle, a muzzleloader, and a late rifle chance to hunt elk. I think total it's 40 something days. Wow. Um, I, I had called the guy. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a really sought after tag. I, I think that year it, it had sold for 74,000 <laughs> this year. I think we bid it up to 52 and it sold at 53. So it was lower than normal, um, which kind of surprised. We, we got one of the rifle tags sold for 51 and then the premium sold for 54. It was almost the same. Uh, but that year he had paid a lot, wasn't interested in the archery. In fact, he, he was really hard to get ho hold of. And, um, you know, he, he called a couple days before the hunt, said he was leaving. I told him where to meet me. And really the first time we ever sat and talked was when he showed up at camp. Um, that guy showed up at camp and told me um, to that this was going to be a lax hunt. He'll shoot any really good six point, but he can only walk 40 yards. Dude, I, I'd like... I couldn't have heard any worse news. I, I may as well have been taking a cancer patient. I, I That mountain is brutal hard. There's days I do um, that. Well, there was one day last year, me and my rifle guy did 22 miles in one day. Oh, like, geez. that's what you do is you, you, you run all day 
long chasing elk. And to have him show up and be like, yeah, I, I can walk about 40 yards. Dude, I, like, I mean, it just turned my job three times as hard at that very one sentence. So um, all that being said, I pushed his limits a little bit. We, you know, we'd walk 100 yards and rest and then walk 120 yards and rest. And in the end, there was a couple times I got him back two or three miles and he did a pretty good job. Um, day three. I, I, he was super tired. Um, I just said, Hey, let's go, let's go check a spot, uh, down in the low country. We're just going to take some sandwiches. We're going to go hang out. It's a short 15 minute walk and we'll just, we'll just make the, uh, spotting scopes do the work, which I don't get to do very often. Uh, it, where I guide, it's pretty thick. I, I don't even carry binoculars half the time. Wow. Um, when yeah. we do see bulls, they're right in your face. So. Uh, it, it was kind of fun to go sit down, relax. Um, we hadn't we hadn't been there maybe a half hour, and I spotted a pretty good bull, um, pushing 370 type bull. Um, I had asked him. I said, "You you want to go pursue it? I mean, we'd have to hike back to the truck, drive about eight miles, and then hike down about two miles." And he said, "Yeah, let's go give it a shot." So we worked our way back to the truck. We got up on the highway started driving down and the, like literally there's a bull on the side of the road <laughs> i mean i i couldn't believe it like i pulled over the guy jumps out of the truck and he's getting ready to shoot and i'm like whoa utah you gotta be 30 feet we gotta move like come over here <laughs> i'm like are you sure he's big enough for you and he's like i i love that bull let's do it and, i mean luck right like I, I don't get that lucky. It never happens to me, but it, you know, for him, it, it went well. It was, it was still, I, it seemed like it was about a 400 yard shot. It wasn't like right off the road, but he shot him right off the road and it, it was a really nice bull. In fact, he went three, geez, seemed like he went 382 or 384. Holy smokes. It was a gorgeous bull. So uh-huh yeah yeah i never put that on instagram <laughs> it uh it worked out pretty well so um and and that's just that's the guy's perspective right like we don't i, I don't see a lot of panic situations i see a lot of uh, days that are like extremely despairing and extremely elated but i i don't see like situations where i get in a bind and you know, them cutting off somebody's limb or something. I don't have cool stories like that. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> what, what other stories did, like, what do you have in mind? Anything like? No, that, that was, that was awesome. Cause I, I could imagine <laughs> myself being in that situation. Cause I, I have buddies that come from like Georgia and Pennsylvania and that kind of stuff. They come hunt Wyoming. And it doesn't matter mm -hmm. how much they work out, how much they run. It the elevation kills them here. It just does. And mm -hmm. I could imagine one of them walking up to me and saying, "Hey, by the way, I can only walk forty to a hundred yards." I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> I have no I, idea. I what wish I could have seen my face. I'm I'm sure it was comical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it, it, it's nice when it, you know someone pulls a rabbit out of a hat for sure. It, it doesn't happen very often, but yeah, absolutely. Sure. It, it, so, so uh, on your especially, hunt, especially on the rut. Yeah, yeah, on the rut, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> on your hunts, you know, like uh, you had mentioned that you'll have, you know, uh, uh, basically a target bull. Um, how? I mean, what's the feeling like when you put in all that time on a specific bull and it ends up coming together and you you guys are going home with that bull on your pack? You know what? What? What's I because I would assume because, you know, we've talked a couple of times before this and I know I know how much time and effort and miles you're putting in. So what what's that? What's that feeling like? Um, well, that's, I mean, that, that's where hunting gets intimate, right? Um, I, I don't think the general public understands the, uh, the magnitude of pulling something like that off. Um, to, to be perfectly honest, I only know personally 10 guys or maybe 12 guys that have targeted a specific animal and, and pulled it off, did it the way they wanted. Um, elk just don't work that way. They, they're they too nomadic. They, they don't stay in one spot very often. They don't follow the rules. They don't have the same, um, threat that like a mule deer does. So, Pulling off, targeting a bull and killing him is is something unbelievably hard. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I I've figured out one area, and I've done it consistently in one or two spots. It's not like um, it's not like I'm picking a new mountain every single year and and pulling something like this off. I've just worked out an area that has great genetics and figured it out. So. Um, that kind of elation is just, I mean, like Kyle's bull last year, like I said, I was 52 days in. He was 19 days in the tree stand before we had it figured out, before an arrow flew. And even at that, um, I had put him in a ground blind and he hit a twig. The arrow hit a twig on the way out. And <sighs> it didn't deflect it too bad. It was a 60-yard shot, but it, it hit him back further than he aimed. And he was about three ribbed up from the bottom. And so, obviously, too far back for a heart. He wasn't sure he even got lung. Um, you know, we just, we wasn't sure if that was even a fatal arrow. Uh, when we went to his first bed, there wasn't a lot of blood. He didn't stay there long. We actually lost him. Circled and circled and circled. Nothing. Kind of got up into the area where he was dead right at dark but had another herd in there kind of bulls bugling cows everywhere we wasn't sure if he was even in the herd so we we're kind of paying attention to them and seeing what their movement was as it got dark and then hiked out the next morning went back into that same area and landed on him right just we got lucky um that uh 
when we did find that bull, um, I'd be lying if, if I didn't like admit that there was a lot of tears and hugs. Like that was a, that was a, a unattainable goal that was accomplished through the efforts of three or four guys, not just me, not just the hunter, the guys helping us out. And it was a, it was an amazing thing for us. So that kind of elation is hard to share or even explain Mm -hmm. you know, but you know, if, if, if it's great enough that there's four or five grown men sitting there crying about it, then yeah, you know, it's a pretty amazing deal. So yeah, we pulled it off a few times and it's fun for sure. Yeah, man. That's just like, you know, cause you, you, you hear of, oh yeah, I, I had a whitetail pattern and I named that and, and I named the deer and then, then I shot him and, you know, that in itself is hard, but they're habitual creatures uh-huh. much more so than elk, you know? So to be doing that with an elk is just, man, that's absolutely insane. Um, man, that's just nuts with the, um, you know, with having him sitting in, in a tree stand and in a ground blind and things like that, um, were you, were you basically focusing on, you know, like transition areas where you'd had pictures of the bull or a wallow that you had pictures of him at, or what was kind of your game plan for the location of those stands and ground blinds? Um, well, I, I know me and you covered it a little bit in our last podcast. We we talked about trail cams and patterning. Yep. Um, I think that was the basis of the yep. show we did. Um, I I I pattern elk almost like a whitetail guy does a deer. Um, I I I I try to find the area where he's the most consistent, and sometimes that takes weeks and a dozen cameras or two dozen cameras or like that bull's instant, I, I think I had 41 or 42 cameras just focused on him. Um, just so I could figure out his rotation, where he's going day to day to day. And then even more so, besides just getting pictures, I was trying to figure out where I was getting pictures of him during the day. Because that's key. Um, I, I have competition down there. Um, and it, I mean, areas where there's 20, 30, 40 cameras in a meadow the size of my backyard. Oh, not gosh. very big um it it's comical to see these guys selling hunts to clients saying we have pictures of this bull they never have day pictures it's always nighttime <laughs> and th- that's the difference that's the key the key is to do it you know you, you talk to a whitetail hunter they don't take work off until they're getting daytime pictures of that buck right mm-hmm. just just like you said they'll name a deer they'll pattern a deer but they don't even mess with that deer until they're getting day pictures it's october 28th before they're even going okay game on i'm taking three days off work yep um but elk have to be somewhere in the day right they have to be just like anything else they're there so it's a matter of finding those spots gotcha. so once i find those spots that's where the tree stand goes cool it, the the most consistent spot I'm getting that bull during the day, that's where the tree stand goes. And so once I got that, sometimes I Kyle's I moved it. I, I ended up moving him on day geez, it seems like day five to another stand where I was getting day shots there, but not as many as the other one. 
Um, but I was getting 40 bulls a day in that area. So he was actually seeing elk nonstop, which made it a lot more fun because the other tree stand was in tighter quarters. And he, I don't know if he even saw. Yeah, he saw a couple elk and, and maybe a bear. Seemed like he had a bear or two come under, but it wasn't real consistent and it was slow sitting in the stand. So moving him helped his morales a little bit. And eventually, <laughs> I mean, he killed him in the same meadow as that second stand, but he killed him on the other side of the meadow. We had moved him into a ground blind with an ozonics because it was kind of a shady spot. The wind isn't good there. So gotcha. I built him a really tight ground blind and put okay. the ozonics in there, and that's what sealed the deal on that bull. But it, it took a while to figure that out. And and that's the name of the game with elk hunting. You're constantly kind of shifting your your game plan a little bit, you know? Yep. Yeah, like I uh, – kind of, the animal that I have the most history with is actually a white-tailed deer. I – uh, freshman year of college, I saw him opening day, didn't ever see him again, because uh, I because he smelled my seat that I was sitting in that I left out in the middle of the of this like big cut swath through these trees, and yeah. uh, he smelled it, never saw him again. Uh-huh. Sophomore year, I shot at him opening day, um, and I shot a little high, and he jumped my string, and I had about, I just had hair in my broadhead, never saw him again. So yeah. junior year, I finally shot this deer and, you know, <clears throat> walking up to that deer, I mean, to this day, uh, not, not the biggest animal that I've shot with a bow, but man, to this day, it still means the most. So I can, I can imagine, you know, walking up to something that you put that much time into, I probably that feeling that I had times 10 or 20. I mean, I could just, man, that's, I bet that's just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, this, this bull was that ghost to me too, for a lot of years. In fact, um, that bull, we've only been getting pictures of him once or twice a year, um, on, on one camera in particular and, and then gone. So we, it's not like I had a ton of pictures. I had six years of pictures of him though. Um, so I, you know, we knew about this bull. He's always kind of been in this one area, but I knew nothing about his behaviors or, or what we wanted to do. The, the thing, the reason we shifted gears to this bull wasn't that he was a 400 inch bull. In fact, 16, I figured he was a 390 type bull. Um, the, the, the reason we decided to hunt this bull was, uh, Kyle, when he bought the tag, he said, Ryan, I want to kill a 60 inch bull. And I was like, dude, I only have one. (laughs) He's not my best scorer, but he's, he'll push the mark. And he said, that's what I want. And so we targeted that bull based on that alone. We had no idea he would sprout another 30 inches out of his head this year. Um, he was, he was much bigger than we planned on. So so that, that was the goal on this bull and, and finding him was an accomplishment of its own for me personally. Um, because I knew so little about him. I just knew, where he kind of pushes through on the rut. I had no idea where he is in the velvet. And so once I started turning those pictures, that was as big of a, as an accomplishment to me personally as killing him because I, I wasn't sure how to accomplish it. And I did it. Um, 
I've had a lot of bulls where I, I haven't had that kind of success. Um, I, I have a bull we call the gritty bull. Um, I talked about him on gritty bullman a few years ago. Uh, he's a bull. I, same, just same as MJ. I, I get three pictures a year of him. And in 2014, I figured he was just cracking the 400 mark as a straight typical. Um, 15, he looked 410, 412 ish. Um, 16, he looked about the same. Like we really thought he looked narrower and heavier, but we figured he'd break four. 17, he didn't show up. And I only have nine because of this bull. Three and 14, three and 15, three and 16. Um, we found him dead. What was it? Mid archery hunt. Um, one of my hunters kind of the wind shifted in his stand and the wind shifted right to where the bulls are bedded. So he jumped out of stand and ran and hid in the gut, um, until the wind kind of shifted again. That was his thinking, right? <laughs> so he runs down in this gut and finds this dead bull. And I'm like, oh, when, when he called me and I, I went up there to check it out, I, I can't tell you the heartbreak. You know, I mean, yeah. I, there's guys that know like that you got yeah. this, you got this dream bull that you're like, I, I got to figure this guy out. I, I mean, that area I had, I don't know, 20, 30 cameras easy. It's one of my most successful areas where this bull hangs out. And he hung out there every year. However, I'd only get those three pictures. It was the craziest thing. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's up there on the mountain bleaching in the sun right now somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like he knew, you know, I I, like almost like a secret agent, you know, how they're how they're trained to avoid cameras. It's almost like he knew what I mean. (laughs) Well, I, I wouldn't put it past them to know it like they they see the infrared lights or, you know, something and they start avoiding that area. I don't I wouldn't put it past them. It, it seems a little ridiculous because I, I I tell people all the time, I really don't believe they're that smart. They're just instincts are way better than ours. You know, if if you, if you can play the wind, you can play those animals. Um, they're, they're not rocket scientists. They're not even an eighth as smart as we are. Like, but, but they do have incredible instincts and maybe there's something to that, you know, whether it's the infrared, whether it's, the boot tracks going in. I, I have no idea, yeah, but yeah. they, they do figure things out sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. <clears throat> I used to think that I had quite a few cameras, you know, I had like eight or 12 or something like that. And then I started talking to you and you're like, yeah, I just was up in the mountain. You know, I, I hung like 40 or 50 cameras. I was like, man, <laughs> I'm going to have to get some more cameras to catch <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> well you know that i it sounds stupid there's guys that run more than me um and, and run more than me in my on my own turf uh like you know there, there's some guys in southern utah that i know are running close to 2 220 um i can <laughs> barely keep up 80 or 90 is about my max um even though i have more and i probably yeah i figured it Last year, I had close to 120 out, um, but, you know, in the end, I was only able to gather up about 65 of them. Um, I think the kid that works for me, Aaron, I think he pulled 
oh, I don't know, he, he probably pulled 15 or 20. And so we got a good 40 still on the mountain, um, which is it's fine. But I I can't manage that many cameras. And, you know, yeah. once, once I, I, I start checking them for the second time and then I kind of start figuring out what bulls are in that area for that year, that's when we target them and really start shotgunning areas. And I kind of let certain areas get neglected because the, the bull I was hoping to find didn't show up, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So it, it's funny that it seems, it seems like a lot of cameras, but I, I really can't manage that many. It, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Like it's, it, you know, so completely, completely so, an off subject, but do you, how many cameras a year do you have get stolen? Any? Um, last year I had one that I know of so far. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I still have 40 out, but we, we probably <laughs> gathered close to 80 and only had found the one, <laughs> one that was gone. And I, I know who stole it. I, I had another camera there. Um, I'd never confronted him about it. It's it's probably never going to happen. I'd rather keep that relationship okay. I'm just trying to figure out how to not get another one stolen again. But I've kind of figured out how to keep people from stealing them. Um, huh. And and I I mean I don't care going over that. Um, yeah, that would be great. And because to be perfectly honest, my odds I, I probably... are not worth a shit because I think I hung two or three cameras last year and one of them got stolen. So my odds are way worse than yours. <laughs> and it was so, the first one, my little there, boy. There's hung. a couple of tricks. So I kind of felt bad, you know, he was there with me and he hung it. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. And we go back to go get it. And he's like, well, dad, where's our care? He's five, you know, well, dad, where's our camera? And I'm like, how do I explain this? You know, <laughs> dang that's too bad that's all good well you know public land's tough that way i yeah i don't i i see a lot on instagram where people making fun of western hunters or making fun of eastern hunters or anymore it's a it's a weird game i i don't think people understand the difficulty of public land hunting and I, i at the same note like the people that have private land have their own obstacles um, hunting is hunting. It's always a tough game. Nobody's that successful that doesn't work their butts off. So I don't, I don't understand the arguments, but public land hunting is hard, like all the way around. Um, cameras are tough in, in states like Arizona, Utah, parts of Nevada. If, if there's a water source, you can guarantee there's at least 12 cameras on that water source. It is un real the the cameras are just and and that's why states like arizona are pushing to get them pulled out because it's causing the deer not to hit the water which are causing deer to struggle i it's i understand that from both viewpoints um but i i'm telling you right now the second they say you cannot use cameras to hunt i will stop hunting i love trail cameras that much <laughs> so the uh couple of things I do just just to to kind of hinder theft. Um I use security boxes on 
every camera. I will not buy a camera that I can't get a security box for. And if I don't have one, I don't hang it, period. No questions asked. Even though security boxes aren't enough, they're not. They do keep honest people honest, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a good person isn't going to tamper with a camera in a box. A bad person still will. And if he wants that camera, guarantee you he's going to get it. However, if it if it's set up right, it will keep honest people honest. Like, I make sure when I see a camera, I get in front of it, wave. Every person there knows Ryan was there. Like, I didn't dick with your stuff. I'm just here. And and sometimes I kind of hope it intimidates them a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I kind of use that. Um, security boxes, you can lock from the bottom, right? Or you can wrap like a python cable through the camera to the box to the tree. Um, which is even better in my opinion, because um, you're attaching the cable to the tree and camera so that even if someone got the face of that security box off, the camera still got a cable going through it to the tree. It's just that much harder. Um, I actually carry a big pair of cable snips and I carry in a roll of cable with the goats, obviously. <laughs> I, I bring in cable and every one of my cameras, not only do they have a lock on the bottom, they have a cable going through the camera, through the lock box and attached it as, as tight as I can to the tree as possible. Um, having both in place there, even if they cut off that lock, they've got to cut the cable as well. Otherwise, that camera isn't moving. You aren't being you're you won't be able to pull the camera forward. You can't steal the card. You can't steal the camera. You have to cut both. So you're going to have to have a pretty good pair of of um, bolt cutters to even think about it, which most guys won't carry back in there. A um, lot of camera boxes um, will peel open just like a banana. It, as as tough as they look. Dude, I, I'm I won't, I'm not keeping really easy if you know how, and so huh. that's why I say the cable is key. The security box is nice. The cable's key. Um, another couple cameras I've had stolen was because I put them in aspen trees. Aspen trees are soft. You can push up and down on those boxes until the bolts get free and pull the cable the the security box right off the tree, camera and all. But if you have a cable on there, that's another no-no. It's not going to, there's no way they can shimmy it off the tree and then pop the cable without bolt cutters. Um, So, you know, I I do a lot of pine trees. I try to avoid aspens. Um, I hang facing north and south. Very rare do I have a camera that faces east or west because I don't like sun glare. And so picking a tree is fairly hard. Um, Another thing i do that most people probably don't think of but i use carbide bolts i don't know if you've ever tried cutting through a carbide bolt um dude they're tough like you'll go through (laughs) two or three sawzall blades before you'll ever get halfway through so um using carbide bolts help they're just expensive all of it's expensive 
you know, if if you're using carbide bolts and you put in three, they're three dollars a piece. There's nine bucks. If you're wrapping a cable through there, you're three or four bucks in minimum. If you're doing a Python lock, you're forty bucks. Um, your lock on your box, ten, fifteen bucks. Your security box, twenty six bucks. Your camera, whatever it is, you know, if if I look at all that put together, plus I'm running a 4K, the 4Ks are 220 bucks a piece, something like that. The card, you have to run a high def card, at least 32 gig or better. I run 64s, they run about 50 bucks. Your lithium batteries run about 25 bucks. And your camera itself, you pile it all in, I'm $400 per camera. So... <sighs> To to spend the extra thirty or forty dollars on security is worth it for me, because yeah. when when I'm running, I think I had twenty, I think we had twenty six four Ks out last year, um, and, and I, I mean I I didn't pay that much, but I paid almost that much for all of them. Um, I was probably, in fact, I know what I was in cameras last year because I just did my taxes. <laughs> I was seventeen <laughs> grand in cameras last year. Wow, <laughs> and, and that was that. Not just the cameras, but that's locks, security boxes, lithium batteries, cards, everything. Um, that, that's that's what I ran for cameras in 2017. So it, it's not cheap. You want to make sure you do your best to secure them up there. But those are the things I do. Make sure you that's have awesome. a security box. Make sure you use carbide bolts. Use some kind of cable through both the security box and the camera. I mean, all those things combined hinder it just a little bit more and to say you know even though i only know of 80 that i've got that i've only lost one one of 80 is a lot of better statistics than i've heard from a lot of other people so (laughs) it works for me (laughs) um you know i i have never even um i've never bought one of the security boxes um i guess and I honestly don't know why, um, you know, part of me, I guess just part of me had enough hope that, that people were good enough people walking by that they would stick with my stuff, I guess, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. and as far as like putting it over bear baits and stuff, um, the, the cameras that I put on the bear bait were usually my cheaper end cameras. So I didn't really care if the bear tore it up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's funny yeah. to me when you're talking about I got carbide bolts and this, that, and whatever, because I'm like, I don't even know what the carbide bolts are bolting. Like, are they bolting the box to the tree? Is that what they're, I don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, self, self-tapping bolts that go through the security box into the tree. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. See, that so, makes way more sense. <laughs> sorry. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That is, well, yeah. yeah. I can I, see though. That, I know don't. All that would I help. assume everyone kind of knows, but yeah. oh yeah, for <laughs> sure, it's huge. Well, sweet man. So, uh, kind of transitioning to the time of year that is now. You know, people are out walking around looking for sheds and this, that, and whatever. Um, you know, I I know that that you like to hunt sheds and things like that. So I'm kind of wondering. Uh, a few things about it, you know, one, do you use shed hunting as any kind of tool or does it benefit you in any way come hunting season? Um, 
and then when it's time to go shed hunt, what are some of the, I mean, what are some of the things that you're looking for? I know there's some people um, in Wyoming that have enough money that they go rent a plane and they go fly and find the big herds of bulls. And then when they drop that, that's where they go. They walk over there, and you know, um, but I don't know, I'm not that rich. So <laughs> what, what kind of, yeah. you know, how does it help you or does it help you? And then what, what kind of stuff are you looking at or, or is keying you in on going to a certain spot as opposed to a different spot? Um, okay. Well, shed, shed hunting. So as, as far as scouting with sheds, um, I used to do that quite a bit. Um, being able to kind of watch those bulls through the winter uh, gave me an opportunity to know if they were still alive. Uh, always hoped to find their set so that, I, you know, I had some history with the, the bull. You know, you, you watch guys like Tines Up. Dude, they do an amazing job of keeping track of animals year-round, picking up their sheds, having an unbelievable history with some of these animals. Um, it, it's really impressive. Um, and I used to have the time to do that kind of stuff. I, I don't anymore. Um, but, you know, back back when I did like, that's how you got the big sheds. Like just like all my preseason scouting for killing animals, you can do the same at wintertime watching them all through February through the first of March, watching where they're at, seeing their elevations so that, you know, kind of where to start with. Um, I, I do pay attention to elevation quite a bit, but it varies. You know, if, if, if I'm shed hunting here by my house, it's easy. Like I can look up there and go, okay, they're around 8,400 feet. I know exactly where they are. So no matter what South face I'm at, that's the elevation I need to start hitting. But you know, the problem is, is like, I'll go down South where I hunt. I have no idea what the elevations are. And this year they're all the way at the top. There's nothing stopping them. There's not enough snow down there. So, um, like it's all guesswork at that point. Um, then you're going to just traditional spots where you've kicked one up before. Um, I I made a post, uh, I don't know, about a week ago that, that said something about how sh- shed hunting doesn't take a lot of skill. It, it just takes a lot of miles. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. I, I, I pissed some people yeah. off. I, I, I did. It, like Some feelings were hurt, and I, I actually called and talked to him about it. Because there's guys that take a lot of pride in their shed hunting, um, and and rightly so. There are tricks, but you know you don't have to get the wind right to pick up a shed. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't. You know. You know. You really don't have to pattern them. You really don't have to sneak up on them. There's nothing like amazing about finding them. It's just they're, you're not shed hunting. You're shed finding. It's like so. You know. It, up here, northern Utah, I pay attention to south slopes. I pay attention to elevation. Um, northern Utah is huge for oak brush. You, you find a south face with a lot of oak brush, I guarantee you're going to find elk. Um, so paying attention to certain things like that always helps. Um, when you go down in the desert, you're in Arizona, you're in southern Utah. Uh, elevation doesn't play as much of a game. Um, neither does oak brush. I mean, they're kind of all over the board. And so that's where watching them 
winter and having an idea of where they're hanging out or putting cameras up like the tines up guys do plays a huge role in knowing where the bulls are at it gives you a big you know edge on everybody else so i, I don't know i i guess i need to make more money and and hire a pilot so, so i can <laughs> so i can figure it out a little more but <laughs> no i, I that... seem to do i seem to do okay yeah, no, and, 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 I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, it would be great, I agree, to be able to fly over and just, oh, look, there's 50 bulls, I'll come back next week and see if they've all dropped, <laughs> like, that yeah. would be excellent, um, but, you know, the average person isn't, isn't able to do that, so, you know, knowing to focus on south-facing slopes and, and to look and say, okay, look, they're they're roughly eight thousand feet. So once I walk up there, I need to be around eight thousand feet. Um, you know, stuff like that's just, I mean, that's that's great tips for sure. Yeah, you know, it, I mean, every little bit helps, and there there is tricks. There's, you know, scouting for sheds is is a legit thing. Like watching the herds and figuring out where there are. I mean, that's why these guys are successful. It's probably why I hurt some feelings with my post last week, but I, I didn't mean anything by it. To, to be perfectly honest, um, I'm I do just like everybody else. I I work into an area, and then I'll work into the next area, and I'll work into the next area. And once I kick up one, that's when I start gritting heavy. You know, it, it's you. not. I still have a lot of a lot of trips where I don't pick up a thing, and. I, I mean, people like get frustrated with it. Like, dude, I've been like four times and haven't picked up anything. And I'm like, well, on my sixth trip this year, I found a bunch. And then my seventh, eighth were good. And then my ninth, tenth were awful. But my eleventh, twelfth were good. And they're like, oh, well, I, I guess I'm not working hard enough. And I'm like, well, may, maybe, but that, you know, expect to be skunked out a few times before you really get into them. Like, plan on it. So then you don't get frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true i i got and i'm like well i'm gonna go walk around over here where i hopefully find one but most likely won't but uh, <laughs> if i do it's cool though <laughs> dude it, it, you're just out there walking around it you never you never missed out just being out there you know it, it, even if you're getting skunked it's better than sitting home on the couch and watching a movie so yep I always say just get out, keep going. Eventually you'll kick one up because that's, that's what it takes is miles, not not being smart. It's it's just putting on boot tracks. Yeah, so yeah. It, you, you figure out some tricks along the way, though. Well, awesome, man. Well, yeah, Ryan, always a pleasure. Um, I appreciate you hopping on and sharing some some of your stories and sharing, you know, some of the some of the thoughts and the ideas of, you know, where to place tree stands and things like that. Um, as well as some ideas for, for your game cameras and not getting those stolen. I will be implementing those because clearly my 33.333% chance of getting a camera stolen out of the three I placed last year is not very good. Um, <laughs> so I will be implementing that. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then I appreciate you closing it out with some shed hunting. It is tis the season 
to be out and about. Um, so, yeah, on on that hey, topic, you, I actually you saw bet, man. I, a mule deer the other day that was still packing, and I just was like, "You lazy bugger, drop those right there when you jump the road right in front of me." I'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> were were they bleached on his head? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny, like, you know, sheds bleach out pretty fast. I th- There's some areas I can't shed hunt until June because the roads, uh, Utah closes off the roads until about May 20th. Uh-huh. And even at that, sometimes you still can't can't get up over the top. So come June, I, I picked up my two biggest sets June 23rd last year. And, and it's just, I mean, it's hot, right? Um, the, those sheds are bleached out. They almost look hard white. I mean, it's only been three months. So they they bleach out pretty fast. It's funny, but mule deer that pack this late, typically when you see them, they're bleached on their heads. They just haven't had the growth to push them off or the aggression to knock them into a tree, you know? So it's, yep. it's funny. It's cool to see them this late because they're so white on their heads. Yeah, it was. It was, it was like a cotton ball. <laughs> I mean, it was way white. <laughs> yeah that's funny that's cool though sweet man yeah super cool for real i mean it's not something that you're you're used to seeing you know so when you do see it it is it's something different it's cool but i really appreciate it yeah it means a lot to me and like i said if there's anything i can ever help you out with or whatever else um don't hesitate to ask because i'm more than happy to do what i can to help out I appreciate that, Zach. Nice of you to say. And I I always like being on. I like to chat. So hit me up anytime. Cool. Cool, man. Well, have a have a good evening with your with your family and uh I look forward to talking with you soon and of course staying up on your posts and all that kind of stuff. I, I really enjoy your pictures and stuff like that because you got some so many good ones, man. I really do. So keep it up and talk to you soon. I appreciate it, Zach. You have a good night. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.